could open your copy of the scriptures or either a copy of the scriptures that you can find in the pews in front of you to Genesis chapter 3. We are working our way through the book of Genesis. Last week we looked at the first part of Genesis 3 with the fall, a man's sin against God. This week we are uh, looking at the result of the fall, verses 22 through 24. And then we're going to look beyond the results to God's grace in restoring man who, uh, because of his sin, was removed from the garden. Verse 22, Genesis chapter 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Uh, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father... As we um, read this passage that is familiar to us, um, to most of us even from our youth, I pray that you would help us to not only see our condition as sinners, as fallen people, but to look beyond to your grace and to the full extent of your salvation that you have given us. Help us to understand how we have been um, restored, even in a better way than Adam, uh, Adam and, and Eve were, uh, been restored to you uh, in, a, in a way that we will never be kicked out of your presence again. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There are many questions that the Bible raises, but the greatest question by far is this. How can a holy God, as we sing about God's holiness, He's holy, holy, holy. How can a holy God save an unholy people? The issue is this. How can God remain morally holy and just and yet forgive sinners? God cannot simply overlook any sin. Each sin must be paid for. Each sin earns for us eternal punishment because each sin is a sin against an eternally holy God. If you have even one sin that is held against you on the day of judgment, you will be condemned to hell forever. This is the central issue in our text this morning. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And we're going to see this morning that mankind, because of sin, is going to be banished from the Garden of Eden. And we're going to see that being banned from the Garden means that man is separated from God. That man is separated from life. 
that man is separated from paradise. In short, mankind is doomed. To quote the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, mankind is without hope and without God in the world. Adam and Eve attempted to attain equality from God or equality with God by eating by their eating the forbidden fruit. And in one sense they did become like God. They did not attain equality with God, but they became like God, knowing good and evil. Um, but instead of equality, what they lost was their standing before God. They became unholy. They became unable to dwell in God's presence. And so God removed them from the Garden of Eden to illustrate the fact that they indeed were separated from God. And then to add an exclamation to point to the uh, fact that they were separated from God, verse 24, God placed cherubim uh, at the east of the garden uh, in order to keep Adam and Eve from trying to re-enter into the garden. And cherubim and the singular cherub, they were not these little cuddly naked babies <laughs> that, uh, that we have um, in some of our um, modern portrayals. Rather, cherubim were warrior angels that, um, that guarded the presence of God. That's why the pictures of the cherubim were woven into the curtain that separated the uh, holy place from the, the holy of holies in the temple. They were guarding the way into the uh, holy of holies. And so in Genesis 2, cher these cherubim or these angels were assigned to guard the tree of life and they, they guarded the tree of life with flaming swords. The kids will like this, and the boys especially will like this, and the flaming swords that are flashing back and forth. The Bible uses the term redemption to speak of God's salvation of sinners. This word redemption is very appropriate because our being a sinner means that we are separated from God. And so what God did in order to save us was He redeemed us. He repurchased us. He bought us again for Himself. Uh, it was necessary for Him to buy us because we were separated from Him. And God not only... Uh, removed Adam and Eve from the, the garden to illustrate that they were separated from God. He also removed them from the garden to illustrate that they were separated from life. Look at verse 22, second half of verse 22. Uh, God says, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then the sentence kind of trails off and tells us what God did. God is in removing Adam and Eve from the garden and placing the cherubim there with the sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's a picture to Adam and Eve saying, you are now separated from life. In other words, you will die. In fact, death had already 
already had Adam and Eve in their grip, in its grip. Remember Genesis 2.17, God said, on the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, the moment that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is exactly what happened. They died spiritually. And then also physical death became a certainty. And now, sadly, we are born as spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we're born now spiritually dead. And the principle of physical death is woven into our souls. We are children of our first parents. You know, one of the most tragic circumstances that, um, that we can experience is for a doctor to tell us that we have a terminal disease and we only have a limited time to live. Well, actually, all of us have a terminal condition and we all only have a limited time to live because this principle of death is woven into our souls. For Adam and Eve to know that the tree of life was in the center of the garden while they were being removed from the garden surely communicated to them that they were going to die. This passage also makes clear that the entire human condition is far from paradise. We experience every day that we do not live in paradise. We experience the fallenness of this world. We feel, we, we, we experience daily the fallenness of our souls. The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. We are separated because of the fall from paradise here in this life. Um, there will never be a utopia. And we are separated from paradise in the next life. None of us are owed paradise. None of us deserve or could ever merit going to paradise. God's holiness and our sinfulness separate us from God separate us from life, separate us from paradise. It's as if a canyon stands between us and the blessings that Adam and Eve were created to enjoy. In fact, that, 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 um, that separation, it's like a canyon, like the Grand Canyon. We would, we would stand a better chance of taking a running leap and jumping across the Grand Canyon than we could in our own selves ever attaining to the blessings that Adam and Eve were created with. Um, there's no way, in other words, for us to regain those blessings that were originally given to our first parents in and of ourselves. But here's the good news. God so loved sinners that He devised a way to restore those blessings back to us. And His plan was able to satisfy His holiness and His justice. 
The Bible says even the angels long to look into this. How can a holy God justify sinners? How can a holy God be gracious towards, towards law-breaking, spiritually dead people? We're going to see the full extent of God's plan in a few minutes. But I want us to spend just the next few minutes tracing some of the hints in the Bible, and they're not so subtle that God was going to restore to us re-entry into the garden. And this is what might surprise you. Re-entry into the garden, even on this side of paradise. Uh, I'm not going to take time for you to turn there, but... um, I've got some different passages of Scripture uh, listed in the outline in your bulletin. The first passage we're going to look at is Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to take time to read it. I'm simply going to uh, try and describe it to you. In Ezekiel 47, uh, a great vision was given to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 47, God showed Ezekiel a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And the point is that the temple... It's the new Garden of Eden where people could have fellowship with God. Mankind was kicked out to the east, uh, to the east of the Garden, out east of Eden. There's been books with that title. Um, And it comes from from, uh, God uh, kicking man out to the east. And so here's the temple now, and it faces to the east, to indicate God's eagerness to receive mankind who has been banished uh, to the east of Eden where they were kicked out of the garden. And in this vision, there's a river of life that originates in the temple. But but this, this river starts as just a little trickle of water that is flowing from underneath the door of the temple. But you go about a mile... And after a mile, it has grown to a river that is so strong and so wide that no man can cross it. And here's what's really amazing about this river is there's no tributaries. It's this one little trickle of water that within a mile grows to this great uh, rushing torrent of a river. Um, This river has great effects wherever it runs. Uh, There are lots of trees that spring up along this river. And um, it flowed initially toward the east, again to show us God's desire to uh, reclaim those people that that He had kicked out east of Eden. In other words, to reclaim fallen humanity. But then it, uh, then it turns south and it heads towards the Dead Sea. And as it goes, it goes through in the, the, the Arabah in probably most of your translations. That's Hebrew word for, for desert or dry places. And so it flows down through the dry places, but even as it does so, um, forests of trees grow up alongside the river. And then this river empties into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea that has such a high sailing content that no fish are able to live in it. But when the waters of this river 
reached the Dead Sea. And the waters began to teem with fish. I've been telling about it and I forgot to turn there. And I wanted to read a couple of verses. Verses 8 and 9. It says here, um, God said to me, This water flows toward the eastern re- region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh so that everything will live where the river goes. In other words, this is a river of life. And the trees that grow along this river, they aren't normal trees. In fact, the orange growers around here would love to have these kinds of trees because these trees bear a new crop every month. January bears a bumper crop. February bears a new bumper crop. March bears a new bumper crop. These are not ordinary trees. And then the leaves of these trees are for the healing, or or serve for healing. Verse 12, And on the banks on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, of course, this is a highly figurative vision. A literal river will not, sometime in the future, start underneath the temple uh, and flow into the Dead Sea. The real meaning is that, that God is the, the real meaning of this vision that God is giving to Ezekiel is that God will once again open paradise for mankind and will reverse the, the, the curse of death by causing life to flow from God towards spiritually dead people. In this this vision, we are the Dead Sea. Um, And uh, the life that comes is the regenerating effects of the Holy Spirit. And this becomes clear in the New Testament. So if you were to turn to John chapter 4, it's a passage that you all know, and again, you don't. If you'd like to turn there, it's fine. If not, uh, that's fine too, because I'm not going to read the passage. I'm only going to tell you what happens. It's a passage that you're familiar with. Uh, you know about the woman at the well, uh, how Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he asked her for a drink of water, and how she was surprised that a Jewish man would speak to a Samaritan woman. And so she hesitated when Jesus asked her for a drink. And when she hesitated, Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. And then the conversation develops through the next several several verses. And then Jesus went on to say to the woman, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, 
I will give you water that will become in you a river of life. Jesus is saying that He is the source of this water. Ask of Him. He will give this water of the river of life. He's also saying that God is intent on giving this living water to sinners. How do we know this? Well, this woman at the well, she was not... um, It becomes clear as Jesus is talking to her that um, she's not all that moral. She's had several husbands. The person, the man she's living with now is not currently her husband. Yet, what is Jesus doing? He is offering this woman living water. So what does Jesus mean by offering this living water? In other words, what is this living water that He is offering to this woman? I'm going to take you to another passage very quickly. John 7, verses 37 through 39. Here is where the true definition of this water uh, becomes clear. And what's happening here is Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and began speaking to the crowd. And He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then the Apostle John, in verse, thir- uh, in verse 39, gives us, just a, gives us a definition. He, he, he uh, gives us a little commentary to help us understand what Jesus is saying. And so John said in verse 39, Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this river of life is really a picture of the Holy Spirit. This picture in Ezekiel 47 is really a picture of the Holy Spirit. This water that, that Jesus offered this Samaritan woman is really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, He flows from Christ and into our spiritually dead souls. He brings us from spiritual death to new life in Christ. This is what we call regeneration or being born again. This is a work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces in us eternal life. The Holy Spirit produces in us these bumper crops of spiritual fruit. Because of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we are not only able to access the tree of life, if you read the Scriptures closely, what it's saying is that we, because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, have become trees of life. There's one more passage that I want to examine before we uh, begin to conclude, and that is actually the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I do want you to turn to this passage. All of you should be able to find it. Turn to the end of your Bibles. Listen carefully as I read it. And you'll notice that this, that, that this is very much like the vision that God gave to Ezekiel about the river that flowed from underneath the door of the temple. However, it's also different because there is no temple in the Revelation passage. 
instead of all these trees, there's only one tree. And the tree of life grows not just one type of fruit every month, but it grows 12 types of fruit every month. And then the leaves of the tree, well, they're not just simply for healing, but for the healing of the nations. So Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, they will need no light of the lamp or of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The river does not trickle underneath the door of the temple because there is no temple. It flows directly from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and of course the Lamb is Jesus. And as you look closely at the passage, there's only one tree of life. But this is what's mind-boggling as you try and visualize this. There's only one tree, but it stands on both sides of the river. So in my mind, I have this tree that is maybe has a hole in it and the water's, the river is flowing through it and around it. But it's sta- it, this tree is, is one tree standing on both sides of the river. It makes no sense if you try and picture it. But the mean here is that the tree of life is abundantly well watered by the river of life. In Ezekiel's vision, the leaves only serve to bring healing In this picture, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And remember how I was saying that um, this is God's very colorful or figurative way of saying that He has restored the Garden of Eden to mankind? Well, look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Well, what did we talk about last week with the fall? We talked about the threefold curse on the serpent, but really we also we talked more about the curse on the woman and the curse on the man. And that was the point there. They, they ate the forbidden fruit. God cursed them. But what's it saying here in verse 3? It is saying there will no longer be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will we worship Him. The curse that was placed on Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 has been removed completely. And instead of two trees in the middle of a garden, we have two thrones, the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And we're no longer separated from God. We're no longer banished from God's presence with the cherubim, with the sword flashing back and forth. In fact, verse 4 says that we will see God's face. And He will write His name on our foreheads. The separation from God, the separation from life, the separation from paradise has all been gloriously reversed. And it is all the initiative and work of God from first 
to last. This picture in heaven in Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5 is not simply a picture of heaven. It's not simply a picture of the future. It's also a picture of the present. Because this picture is a picture of the salvation that we possess right now. The river of life courses through us because the Holy Spirit is living inside us. Death and the curses of sin have been reversed in us. We have eternal life now. We are no longer children of wrath under a curse. We are children of God in Christ Jesus. And of course there's still a not yet aspect. Because after we die and go to heaven, the effects of that curse will be removed completely. We'll no longer be tempted to sin. We'll no longer sin. We'll no longer the, the principle of death that's woven in our souls um, will we'll no longer be there. We will have life, have it eternally and abundantly with death no more. Now we have life. We have it abundantly. But there is still physical death that stands out there ahead of us that one day will usher us into the presence of God. When we get to heaven, we'll experience the full effects. But it's important to know that the reversal has taken place already. Uh, we have eaten from the tree of from the true tree of life by trusting in Jesus Christ, and in turn, He has made us trees of life. We are the ones producing twelve types of fruitfulness every month. But it's not because of our own efforts; it is the work of the Spirit flowing through us. We are the ones who are charged with taking the healing leaves of the gospel out to the nations. In short, we have not only returned to the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Eden has entered into us. In a very substantial way, we are better off than Adam and Eve. Our standing is not in our own righteousness as it was for Adam and Eve, but our standing, our security, is in the perfect and secure Righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam and Eve lost their standing with God. You can't if you were in Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve lost their place in paradise. You can't if you were in Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve became spiritually dead. You have been raised to a new life and cannot die spiritually again. Adam and Eve were barred from the tree of life. In Christ, you are a tree of life. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we transition now in our service to uh, the service of communion, I ask that you would encourage us in our in, in the very uh, center of our souls as we uh, look to our Lord Jesus, as we are reminded of His grace to us that is sure, that is complete, that is eternal. We pray in His name. Amen.